One of the things that stops small business owners from creating marketing content consistently is this feeling of being uninspired, of having no idea what to say in the first place. If you can relate to this, you are in good company. So many of us struggle with knowing what our marketing content should actually be about. But I am here to help. I have come up with 100 prompts that you can use to guide your marketing from your social media posts to your emails to your longer form content. I guarantee that these prompts will get you inspired and that you'll have more ideas than you even know what to do with. You can download this list of 100 marketing prompts for free at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 151. If you are a product-based business owner, I need to warn you that this episode is golden, golden. Listen now, but if you're on the go or multitasking, you're going to want to come back to this one and take some notes because there is so much here. My guest today is Katie Hunt. Katie is the founder of Proof to Product. She is a podcast host, a business strategist, and community builder for product-based business owners. Since 2011, Katie has helped thousands of brands get their products on the shelves of retail stores, large and small. Her alumni's products are sold in Target, Nordstrom, the Container Store, Starbucks, as well as independent boutiques around the world. Katie's strengths lie in connecting people and bringing ideas to life, brainstorming, making a plan, and executing. In this episode, we discussed what small businesses with the most wholesale success have in common, what you need to have ready in order to start pitching for wholesale, how to know when you're ready to hire, what it means to take your business temperature, the value of pulling back and stopping things sometimes, how to create an annual strategy plan, balancing business ownership and parenthood, and much more. Okay, so one more thing before I air the interview, you're going to hear some of my dog barking in the first few minutes of the interview. She is a very good guard dog, and apparently we were getting some packages as I was recording with Katie. Thank you for your patience with her and with me. I promise it passes relatively quickly. Anyway, get ready for the magic that is this conversation. Here is the episode with Katie Hunt. Hey, Katie, welcome to Making Good. Hey, Lauren, thank you so much for having me. I am so, so, so excited to have you. I listened to your podcast years ago when I was still mostly focused on my own product-based business. So it is really a fun full circle moment to have you on this podcast. Oh, Um, thank you so much. Yeah. And just, I hope we'll get to it, but Katie's podcast proved a product is such a fantastic resource for any product-based business. So um, thank you, Lauren. I appreciate you saying that. We love doing the podcast. Love it. Yeah, podcasting is the best. Um, I'd love for those of you who may not have come across you before for you to introduce yourself and share a little bit about how you got to doing what you do now. Sure. So, hey, friends, my name is Katie Hunt, and I run a company called Proof to Product, where we mainly focus on helping people sell wholesale. So, our people sell to stores like Target and J. Crew and Starbucks and Container Store, and uh, also independent boutiques all around the world. So, that's that's mainly what we teach is how to wholesale and the whole strategy behind that. But how I got into this is kind of a funny story. It's a common story in the product space. I had a stationary brand that I launched in 2008. And 
uh, I sold a number of different products to both direct-to-consumer and to the wholesale market. I pretty much jumped straight into wholesale blindly without really knowing what I was getting into. And as I looked around my industry, as I was kind of growing this business through trial and error and Googling, I, I realized that you know, my strengths were business. I knew how to build a strong business. And I, and I should give a little background here too. I worked in corporate for over a decade doing business development and marketing. I um, have two MBAs, one in marketing and one in finance. So like the business side fueled me and like just really made me feel good. But I struggled on the creative side. I was a self-taught artist and I had a lot of ideas, but I had trouble bringing them to life. And as I looked around my industry, I saw that my colleagues were just such talented artists, but they lacked a lot of the business knowledge. So I said, let's get everybody together. Let's share what we know. I can help you on the business side. You can help me on the creative side. And all of us will just grow stronger together. And so that was in uh, 2011 was when I started Proof to product. And, um, you know, now we've been doing this for a really long time and we've coached thousands of people and, um, across a number of product types and people throughout the world located throughout the world. So that's a real quick story, but basically this whole business stemmed from my own needs of, I'm trying to build this product-based business and, you know, I need support and I know I can support you, my fellow friends in ways that you need help. And so I did have overlap between my product business and uh, proof to product for a number of years. We ended up closing the manufacturing arm of that business in 2016. So there was a good five years where I was juggling both businesses, but ultimately I decided, you know what, I can serve a lot more people and make a bigger impact through proof to product. And so that's what I've been doing. It's amazing. And I think it's like the work that you do, I think is so important because a lot of the skills and strategies and how to's related to starting a small business are pretty accessible. But when it comes to wholesale, it kind of feels like this like behind a curtain type thing where it is actually hard to get a lot of the answers. So yeah, yeah. Which is why we're why we're trying to make it accessible too. Yeah, which I I know I learned a ton from your podcast. I now own a retail store. So like that's taught me a lot. But before when I just had my stationary brand, I had no idea where to start. And I learned a ton even just from your free content. So again, plug for proof to product. (laughs) podcast. Thank you. Um, So one of the things that you said in your intro that I kind of immediately latched onto is that a lot of your clients have had pretty significant, what I would call it commercial success in that they've gotten their products on the shelves of places like Target and Nordstrom and Starbucks and J. Crew. Um, for many of listeners, this is going to be something that would be a dream come true for them. So I would love if you could share just anything, any observations, um, any tips for how listeners who that would be their dream, how they can kind of move from early stage product-based business owners to possibly achieving something like that. Sure. So the one thing that all of these brands have in common is that they have a very strong wholesale foundation. And what I mean by this is there's multiple layers to this. And this is what we teach in our paper camp program, because if you have these foundational pieces, you are then ready to start pitching these bigger box stores. You're ready to start looking at, um, you know, larger scale distribution. And so let me run through these real quick. I, we always start people off with product. Let's look at your product line and make sure that it is priced right. 
that you um, have the right profit margins for wholesale, that you have the fulfillment and manufacturing in place to be able to scale this up. Because obviously, if somebody comes and they want a thousand units, we want to be able to provide those thousand units, right? Mm -hmm. And so we first start off in this foundational stretch of looking at, is our product line ready? Do we have enough of it? And is it cohesive? Is it a strong collection of products? Once we know that everything is priced right, it's large enough that we've got all those pieces ready, we've got a solid product that people want to buy, then we move people into their sales tools. And this is a step that a lot of people skip. (laughs) So I just want to, they jump on fair or they jump onto these other things and they don't have the right sales tools in place. And this is a huge red flags to retailers as Lauren, I'm sure you've seen now running your own shop. Um, But your sales tools, it consists of having the right terms and conditions specifically for wholesale. Mm -hmm. And these are very important. These are the guardrails that you establish to tell your retail partners how you run your business and how they can purchase from you and in what quantities and, you know, kind of what those guardrails are. So your sales piece here that we work on in paper camp is um, determining what your terms and conditions should be, what your minimum opening order amount should be, meaning a dollar amount. We talk about MOQ, the minimum order quantity that buyers have to purchase from you. So when people are buying wholesale, as you know, they're not just buying one individual item. They're buying, they're choosing a SKU that they want, and then they're having to purchase the minimum order quantity. So for greeting cards, that's always six or twelves. Um, and they're getting six or twelve of that one skew that they're purchasing, you know, and and the number, the MOQ varies from product to product, but that's just one example. So the terms and conditions are a big piece in this, in this, and then the catalog. And a lot of times people will have line sheets and other things. When buyers ask for a line sheet, they typically mean a catalog. And I have very um, detailed instructions for how to build a catalog that is an effective sales tool. A lot of times people make the mistake of creating more of a lookbook style catalog Mm -hmm. that is really pretty and fun. And it doesn't necessarily do the job of selling their products, which is what the catalog should be doing. It should have Mm -hmm. all of the information that a buyer needs to place an order. It should have all of the pricing and the terms and conditions. Like We want to make it as simple as possible for our retail partners to purchase from us. And that catalog does the sales job when we're not there in person with them. So this is a piece, again, that a lot of smaller brands overlook when they start to sell wholesale. They either don't have a catalog or it's more of a line sheet format that doesn't have the information they need, or they don't have the right terms and conditions. You know, These are some things that I can see really quickly and other buyers can see really quickly. And it can be a red flag that that prevents people from purchasing. And we don't want that. We want to make it as simple as possible and a a heck yes for everybody. Um, And then the third piece is marketing. And that's where we then start doing the outreach. We start pitching these stores, whether it's big box or whether it's specialty stores. We have a system that we teach people about how to do your outreach, what information to include, the cadence, meaning how often to reach out and follow up. And then um, also what to do if you don't hear back too, like how to how to use multiple touch points in different ways to still add value. And then um, within marketing too, we also talk about things like trade shows if that's what they want to do or um, ongoing email marketing for nurture sequences and things like that. There's a lot 
that you can cover in marketing. But ultimately, mm-hmm. the main piece people are looking at in the marketing side is the outreach, the proactive outreach. Um, and then, you know, operations folds in as kind of the fourth, fourth piece of this. And that's where... Do you have things squared away with shipping and fulfillment? And, you know, do you have the right number of people in place to be able to get orders out quickly? Do you need to hire some assistance with things? So I know that doesn't directly answer like how to get no, into target, but it's, it's this multi-step process for building a strong wholesale foundation. Cause I will tell you Lauren too, and I'm sorry, I keep going, going, going. No, no, this like, is really helpful. <laughs> but when you have these foundational pieces in place, you as a business owner are going to feel so confident and empowered when you reach out to these stores because you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're not faking it till you make it. You're actually standing tall on who you are, the products you sell, how you're selling them. You know that you're in alignment with other industry pros. You're not just kind of winging it, so to speak. So um, these foundational pieces in that order are very instrumental to being ready to pitch or receive orders from those big box stores. That's such a great, uh, detailed, comprehensive answer that I hope everyone was taking notes on. I was. Um, (laughs) I guess it's interesting to me that it's not a different approach. So for example, I own a really small retail store in Seattle called Station 7, and we buy from a ton of like local small businesses. Mm -hmm. I was expecting you to say that the process was somehow different, that like an email that you would send to me to pitch your brand would be different or like not even an email, but the process of pitching to me would be different from like target. Is that true? It or? is. It, yeah. You're correct. You are absolutely correct. Um, the bigger box stores do their buying in different ways. They tend to purchase more at trade shows or at least scout brands at trade shows where they can go and see lots of people in one place. They tend mm-hmm. to do their buying in a group setting where they'll have many team members sitting around a table looking at products, deciding what they're going to do. They also have buying schedules. So the big box stores will, um, they'll put out It's kind of like an editorial calendar, but it's a buying calendar of what they're looking for when. And the big box stores are working very far in advance. So for example, some some are looking at like holiday 2024 already and and planning for that. Um, And we're recording this in uh, November 2023 right now. So just to give you perspective, some of this stuff is, is very far out. But before anyone can even approach that table or send in their samples to be considered they really need to have these foundational pieces in place. Mm-hmm. Amazing. One of the things that you touched on was hiring. And that is a pain point that I hear all the time. And it's really kind of like a, how do I know when I'm ready to hire? When I do hire, what do I outsource? Um, I think, and I was just having a conversation today with some of my members about exactly <laughs> this. So I know it's like that move from I'm doing everything by myself to now there's someone in my business with me is a very, very big move for most small business yep. owners. Yep. What advice do you have for folks to kind of go about this the right way and know what kinds of things to assign and just any sure. hiring tips and goodness you have to share? Would love to hear. 
Yeah, this is something I feel super passionate about. Um, and in fact, within our, we have a free resource library where we offer a lot of different free trainings and other things. And I have a class in there uh, that's called Three Simple Steps to Delegating. And your audience can get access to that by going to proofdeproduct.com slash resources. And I would encourage them to start there because when we get super clear on where we need the most help in our business, and what types of things we should be delegating, like what's sucking our time, what's sucking our energy, um, then we can get very clear on who we should hire. And we can also be creative in how we hire. So what do I mean by this? Well, I think this thought process of hiring somebody feels so overwhelming because most of us in our heads go to, I have to hire somebody full time on payroll. They have to be an employee. And our brain goes, oh my gosh, this is like, this is a lot to handle. Like, I don't want all mm-hmm. of that, right? And the truth of the matter is there are ways to hire people in a flexible, very part-time schedule. You could hire somebody for specific projects. Like, you can start on this hiring journey in a much smaller, less riskier financially and less risk in terms of how much onboarding and training you need to do. So there's a lot of different things we could do in terms of you know, hiring a contractor for a specific project or hiring somebody as like, um, you know, seasonal help to come in and package and ship out products for us. There's there's a lot that we can do here. You know, we don't have to necessarily jump to a full-time studio assistant or a wholesale manager or whatever it is that we need help with. But that class I talked about will help you get really clear on the aspects and portions of your business that would make sense to delegate. And this is going to look different for everyone. It's based on our own individual strengths and skills and experiences. And so, you know, Lauren, what you might delegate first would be different maybe than what I would delegate first. So we have to kind of look internally and see what am I spending my time doing and what is draining me day in and day out and what types of things, if I got some help, would truly benefit the business in terms of ROI and, you know, efficiencies with our time and things like that. So I I strongly recommend taking a look at like that class because it'll help people get clear, but also then come into it, this hiring process with a really open, open mindset about, okay, this doesn't have to be a full-time employee. So let's get creative. You know, do I have some friends that just want some hours? Do I have some people that could take just some singular projects off my plate and that will free me up to do more of the creative work or higher level work that I need to be doing? Like, let's, let's really kind of get granular with it because those granular pieces will make a bigger impact holistically in the business. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the reminder that hiring doesn't necessarily mean like a full time 40 hours per week payroll benefits, like all of that kind of situation. It's intimidating, right? When we think like that. It is. Yeah. And I think I know I at least tend to be all or nothing in mentality. So I'm like either going all out or nothing. So I love just the permission to dip your toe in and take it little by little, get seasonal help if 
for example, if you're like many product-based businesses and November and December are wild, maybe you just get help for November and December for now. So I think that's such great advice. And Lauren, that could be paying a day rate to somebody that, you know, just they mm-hmm. work a certain number of days and you have a day rate. It could be an hourly part-time employee. It could. There's a lot of different ways this could shake out that still like provides you support and also checks all the legal boxes we have to check in terms of mm-hmm. hiring. Yeah. I Another thing I heard you say is um, when you're kind of looking at which tasks to delegate, which your resource sounds awesome to help you kind of figure that out. Um, I heard you say thinking about the things that are especially draining to you. Mm-hmm. I, that's also something that I really connect with. Sometimes the tasks that, you know, you hear people telling you to outsource are not the one, like, I don't mind doing them and I do them quickly and fast. But on the other hand, there are these other things that are just like, I procrastinate. I become a bottleneck. I just don't do it. So Really letting it be a personal decision about what's going to make most sense for you and your energy and, you know, what's going to free you up to do the things where you really add the most value. I think that's such a smart approach. A hundred percent. I mean, we're all guilty of being the bottlenecks in our business, but (laughs) if we can strip away some of those things that do cause more of the procrastination, think of just how much more fulfilled we'll feel and productive we'll be. Yeah. Yeah, I love that way of thinking about procrastination as like, there's nothing like inherently wrong with it, but it, it doesn't make you feel good about yourself when you're constantly saying you're going to do something and then not doing it. It's just not very kind. Like you just set yourself up to disappoint yourself. And so there are ways that you can work around that or build systems and strategies to kind of eliminate that from being a possibility. I think that's something we should all be considering. So totally. I agree. Another thing that we were going to talk about today is this concept of taking your business temperature. I am very intrigued by this idea, and I don't (laughs) think this is something that I necessarily do very well because I tend to get really in the weeds and just like, you know, cramming stuff out. Um, Taking your business temperature is about like kind of stopping and looking at the bigger picture vision and backing up a little bit instead of just always being so in the weeds and the details. I love for you to share what your approach is to this and why it's so important. Yeah. So this is something I teach within our labs program. It's our membership for product-based business owners. And um, basically I ask everyone to take their business temperature at least once a year for the more seasoned established businesses. I'll sometimes push them to do it every six months. But to your point, it's Stepping out of the day to day and taking an overarching like bird's eye view of our business. Let's we're looking at things like what's working well in our marketing. We're what's not working well. We're looking at where our budget is going to. We're looking at how we can increase efficiencies. There's a lot of different um, specific things I ask them to look through and to check in on. Um, But ultimately, the whole goal of this is to identify what we should be doing more of and stepping further into the things that are working in our business. And then also identifying the things that we want to pull back on. They're either, you know, whether it's products or projects that are no longer serving our business goals or... Maybe it comes back to that energy that we were talking about before where it no longer serves us as an individual. Um, And so there's almost more relief and more peace around that 
removal part of what we're cutting uh, Mm -hmm. from our business. But at the same time, it's this taking our business temperature is really focused on helping us work more efficiently, sell more, um, and also just like carve out more space for ourselves to enjoy what we're doing in the business. So um, one of the things I teach within this class is um, I run everything through a four part filter when I'm making business decisions. And I encourage my clients to do the same. And those four filters are... um, So as I'm making a decision, I think about what is the time involved? That's the first one, time. Is it going to be a lot of time? Is it going to be a little bit of time? We look at the financial impact. Is it going to be potentially a higher earning product or service? Or is it going to be something that's going to be like a lower price, lower percentage of our revenue? So kind of where's that going to flush out? The third thing is that energy piece of like, am I pumped about this opportunity or is it going to drain me? Do I feel like this is something that's in alignment with where I'm at in my 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 day-to-day life right now or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the fourth piece is impact. And this one's really important to me. And I don't think a lot of business owners think about their decisions this way, but what kind of impact is this product or service or whatever it is that I'm considered, this opportunity I'm considering, what kind of impact is that going to make on me as an individual? What kind of impact will it make on my business, proof to product? And then what kind of impact will it make on all of my customers and clients? How will it positively impact them? And mm-hmm. when we put all of these opportunities and decisions that we're making through these four filters, it really does help us stay on task and say yes to the right opportunities. And it gives us also that permission slip to say no to the things that really aren't in alignment too. So again, real quick, it's I assess things by time, money, the heart and energy is what that third one and then impact. I love that. That's such a clear kind of matrix for making decisions. And I especially love the the one about impact. And I think you could also be thinking about it like, what is the impact on the world or the environment of like, you know, if if I were to choose to add a new product line that was like not so kind to the environment, that might be something I would consider in making the decision. So I think that's such a beautiful criteria. Um, One thing I really love that you said was about what to pull back on, like just kind of inherently giving people permission to stop doing things that we start doing, which I think is not something that we are taught to do. Like I always kind of just think if I start something, I need to keep doing it. Or if I, for some reason, stop, then it's some kind of personal failure. So like, (laughs) I'll just keep all the trains running when that's not necessarily always a good idea. Do you have any examples just to make this really kind of real for people of like, what have been, maybe what's something you've pulled back on or examples of things your clients have pulled back on when they really do this, taking the temperature exercise? Yeah, I can give you a couple of examples in my own business. And Lauren, just to be clear, I'm the same way as you. I'm really dedicated. <laughs> and when I start something, I'm like, I got to finish it. I got to see this through, you know. Yeah. But but I also think we have to remind ourselves that it is 100% okay to change our minds. Yeah. We can change our minds about anything in our life or our business because we set the rules. That's one of the benefits of running a business is that we get to decide what we say yes to and what we say no to, what we move forward on, what we don't. We set those rules. No one else, just us. So um, Mm -hmm. anyhow, back to your question at hand. Um, There have been a number of things that I have 
ultimately said no to. And I'll, I'll share a couple of them. Uh, in 2016, I uh, said no to several things. I shut the manufacturing arm. of Well, let me give, set the stage here a little bit. <laughs> in 2016, I had my fourth baby. I, oh, wow. yeah, I had two businesses at the time, my product business and proof to product. I um, was speaking on stages all over the place and like flying with like, my breast pump in hand. Like it was just not, it was chaotic. And I got to the end of that year and I was exhausted. And I said, this is not sustainable. I can't keep doing this. And so I made three very difficult decisions. One was I decided to stop speaking on other people's stages for a while. And we instead launched the podcast in early 2017. I decided to stop manufacturing for my product business. And I still kept my licensing deals and some other things going. But ultimately the main revenue stream that we were running, which was the production and then having direct to consumer and wholesale sales, we cut them. And that was a huge, scary thing for a lot of reasons. One, this, I had built this business for eight years and it was profitable and it was successful by all definitions of success at that point, but I just couldn't maintain. And, um, and so, the, and then the third thing was I decided I could, I needed to stop trying to do everything myself. And that's when I hired. So I think it's serendipitous too, that we talked about hiring earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was 2016. And I saw tremendous growth when I made those changes. They were very difficult things to decide on and choose. But once I did, proof to product had more time capacity. My family had me, like I felt more of a <laughs> whole human at the time yeah. again, you know, like it, there was a lot of benefits. And then I, another example I can share is in 2021, um, you know, we were well into the pandemic and I had four kids that were learning at home. My husband had come home to work at home. I know we all have similar challenges mm-hmm. that we face during this time, um, different but similar. And um, I was supporting my clients through a lot. This was when the paper source bankruptcy news hit. This is There was just a lot of different things that, was, that were going on. And um, yeah. in July of 2021, I decided to push pause on my highest level coaching program, my mastermind. And people looked at me like, are you crazy? This makes up a pretty large percentage of your revenue. You love the work you do with these clients. You know, why would you push pause on something like this? And when it came down to those four things I talked about earlier, my energy levels weren't where I needed them to. I wasn't taking care of myself in that moment. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, and I was very honest with my mastermind clients. I said, look, I'm not doing okay right now. And I need to push pause so that I can recharge myself so that I can serve you better as your coach. And, um, you know, a lot of them were disappointed, but at the same time, they completely understood. And it's the same thing if you're a parent, you know, if I'm not healthy and happy, I can't be a good mom or wife either, or I can't be a good business coach or business owner. Um, And so, you know, again, that was a very difficult thing for me to pull back on. And it was you know, a lot of people thought it was very dramatic, not dramatic mm-hmm. in terms of how it was done, but like, whoa, that's like a big deal. And right. it was, it was a significant thing. But at the same time, it allowed me to heal as an individual and come back even stronger to serve these people. So um, I probably got a little too in the weeds there, Lauren, but no, uh, no, awesome examples in both cases. And like, what really just stands out to me is that sometimes the best decision isn't necessarily the one that like, 
looks best when you're comparing your income statements, right? It's yeah. like you had this mastermind that sounds like it made up a lot of revenue and like it's what you're known for. And um, yeah, like you say, people thought that was a surprising decision, but that's what was best for you. And it sounds like you really stand by that. So I think yeah. that's a good reminder. Yeah. And I'm bringing it back now and it's going to be even better. And, you know, I have people asking for it. So my point is just like, there's always a time and a place for these things. And I guess that's the other thing I want to share with your audience is like, if we pull back on something or cut something or pause something in our business right now, it doesn't have to be that way forever. We could also bring Mm -hmm. it back later. We can change our mind again down the road and, you know, reinstate things if we want. Yes. I love it. I love the permission to change your mind. So good. Um, Okay. So kind of on the similar lines of thinking about taking your business temperature, some of the more like high level strategy, bird's eye view type of managing your business. Yeah. Something else that I know you have some guidance for us on is setting up an annual strategy plan. And this is another thing that I think so many people don't do because again, you get caught up in the day to day. What does this look like for you? And um, I know you have five steps to this. I'd love for you to share that. Um, Yeah. So when I start my annual strategy plan, I think it's a lot different than what other people advise. So when we sit down to do our annual planning, I always start with my personal calendar first. And I would advise everyone listening to do the same. So I plot down dates and things that, um, you know, vacations we're going to take or my kids holidays from school or whatever it might be that I want to hold space for in my personal life. And I put that down on the calendar before we do any other planning for what programs, what products, what like whatever else we're going to do. Um, and I think that's a unique step that a lot of people don't. Most of the time people start with like, oh, I'm going to launch my products here and I'm going to be at this trade show or whatever. And then I'm going to squeeze my vacation time in around that. Mm-hmm. And I would rather you reverse it and put your personal time on the calendar first and then plan the business around that. So... Um, So we start with that. We start with our personal stuff. And then we start with like the bigger rocks. In the case of your audience, this is going to be when are you releasing a new product? When do you have large events that you are planning to go to? The release schedule is a big one for people that particularly sell wholesale because there are certain times I want you releasing product. Um, So we plot those on the calendar and then we work backwards and kind of build in the minutia of like the production calendar or the event planning calendar or whatever it might be. And so um, my, there's a lot we look at as we're doing annual planning. Again, it's kind of tied to the taking your business temperature. I want people to take their business temperature first. And that's where we get a lot of the analytics and data points and okay, we want to go further in some of these product categories. And then when we get to this strategy plan, annual plan, that's more about laying out what we're doing when. So what what are we focused on for Q1? What are we focused on for Q2? What are we focused on for three and four? And oftentimes, as you know, Lauren, in your own business, I'm sure, is like, there's certain things that we're marketing and publicizing to everyone. And then there's also things that we're working on behind the scenes in that production mode, you know, of what we're getting ready for the next quarter. So part of the strategy planning is also assessing okay, what are we actively publicly selling? What are we working on behind the scenes to get ready for the next quarter? Kind of where do our resources need to be allocated, whether that's our time or energy, um, manpower, that kind of stuff. So um, that's amazing. 
Yeah. So my approach to strategy planning is kind of twofold with the business temperature taking, and then we do the annual strategy plan after that. Yeah. I love the accounting for your personal life first and making sure that like you get the vacation and that that kind of you plan around that so that you don't end up sacrificing everything you want out of life just to keep up with everything. I mean, how many people in your community are constantly like, I haven't taken a vacation in so long or I'm working all the time and true for my community as well. I mean, all of us are hard workers and we love what we do and we're dedicated to our businesses. That's why we're entrepreneurs. But at the same time, we don't need to sacrifice our mental health or our vacations or our personal lives to do that. And so mm-hmm. intentionally building that in when you're planning for your business, I think is is super important. So smart. Um, this is a question that was not something we planned to talk about, but yeah. so feel free to say no if you don't want to, but I'm an open book, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm hearing you talk about like all the different things you do and have done in your business. And then also being a parent of four kids, I'm hearing, well, certainly myself, I have one 18 month old kid. Thanks. And a lot of listeners are parents. And if you have anything to share, any wisdom guidance you've learned in your years of having balanced, both being a business owner and a parent, um, I just love any tips, tricks, any thoughts overall? If you have anything to share on this, I'd love to hear it. You know, I, <laughs> I laugh because I joke with my husband. I'm like, how are we doing this? Like, how are, we, <laughs> how are we making this work? And I know others listening probably feel the same. I think it's important to recognize the season that each of us are in when we're in it. So like you, Lauren, with an 18-month-old, that is a busy season for a lot of reasons, right? Like they need supervision and they are just moving and grooving Mm -hmm. and like, you know, they're exploring the world and you don't want to miss any of it. And now I'm like, also like there's phases of this childhood journey and this parenting journey. And we're hitting this new phase with my oldest two are 11 and 12. And like now we're in this tween zone and I don't even know what to do with myself (laughs) here, you know, like we're in foreign territory. Um, So my point is just like, whether you have school age kids, toddlers, babies, or now tweens or, and you know, I haven't even gone past that. So who knows what we're in store for. But I I think some things I've learned along the way is just that we have to give ourselves a ton of grace and, Mm Our best is good enough. I know as driven entrepreneurs, we have high expectations of ourselves and others. And honestly, a lot of what I've learned about parenting is that I need to lower those expectations and then I need to lower them again and mm. even again. <laughs> and um, and that's not to say, you know, I mean, we're making sure everyone's safe and fed and yeah. healthy and all of that. But you know, my daughter went to school yesterday and my husband didn't really do a good job brushing her hair. So be it. She's fine. <laughs> <laughs> She's alive, you know? Like yeah. I was dropping off two other kids and he was taking care of her. So, you know, it's it's stuff like that where it's like you just need to give yourself grace and I, and I'm I it's hard. I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. It's very difficult to run a business and it's also very difficult to be a parent. And when the two overlap, there's some days where it's just like how, how do you make this work? Yeah. Like yeah. how, how do I make this work? But you know, I'm, I'm sure like many of your listeners and yourself, like I put family first and I also have to remind myself that the work I'm doing in my business is very important, but I'm also not saving the world. I'm not curing cancer. I'm not saving lives. And mm-hmm. so 
there are times where I need to push pause on different things because that's what serves my family or me. Um, or I get frustrated sometimes because things aren't moving as fast as I'd like them to in the business or we're not moving forward fast enough on a project I want to do. But then I remind myself, well, yeah, because I was hosting a birthday party and we went to Disneyland or whatever. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I have to check myself quite often. So it's not really advice other than just to say like, do your best and also give yourself a ton of grace because I don't know. We also, this is total side tangent, but like, please stop comparing yourself to people you see on the internet that are parents yeah. and are like, you know, have the perfect house and have the perfect right meal plans and all that stuff. Like life is messy. Parenting is messy and we're all just doing our best. So good. So, so good. Thank you for, for saying that. That's <laughs> sure. I'm sure something a lot of people needed to hear. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I prefer to laugh at everything that goes on <laughs> rather than cry, but <laughs> so yes. that's, that's what's up. <laughs> no, I think, I think that is such good advice just to kind of lower the bar a little bit and be kind to yourself. Yeah. Um, and just remind yourself that you're doing your best. That's all we can do. Yeah. Okay. I know I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm going to shift gears into the questions that I get to ask all of the lovely guests on this podcast. Yes. Um, the first one is how do you approach doing good through your small business? Yeah. Um, so a couple ways. One, we have a scholarship program for our paper camp program. So we do give out one full tuition scholarship for every time we offer that. And we've run that program for 40 rounds. So lots of wow. scholarship dollars have gone out the door, which is amazing. Um, and I feel very lucky that we can do that. Uh, we also provide a ton of free content on our podcast and our resource library. I really believe that, you know, we want to meet people where they are and help them get to the next level. And so I want to provide really rich resources for them to do that even before they can, you know, maybe afford or maybe they're ready for our program. So that, that, those are two things that we do to bring good. That's amazing. Um, That's amazing. I love that you run the scholarship for your program because I am sure it is absolutely transformative and that gives more people access. So, um, Love that. Yeah. What is one small business that you admire? I know this is going to be a hard question for you. I know. <laughs> I know. This is hard. Um, you know, I, uh, this is a little self-serving too, but Brittany Lynn, she runs the Human Connection Agency. She does PR outreach for, she's my publicist and she also works with a lot of other brands. And I love how... Um, value driven she is in terms of who she works with and how she works with people and how she plays a critical role in getting these people out in the world and their their valuable messages out into the world. So, um, you know, the amplifying of the message is one of the things I very much admire in terms of how she runs her own business and then how she supports others in getting that message out. Amazing. I will be sure to link her up in the show notes and we'll shout yeah. her out. Um, what about a book you would recommend? Yeah. So um, Company of One by uh, Paul okay. Jarvis is one of my favorites. And I think your audience would really resonate with it. It talks about how we don't have to be a big business. We don't have to have a corporate culture necessarily. We can still mm-hmm. do highly impactful things at a smaller scale. Great recommendation. That's been on my list to read for a while and I just haven't. So um, that's do a good one for love me it. too. <laughs> you'll love it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I used to... I. Um, subscribed to his newsletter for a long time. And I don't, maybe I, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe it's in a different email inbox. Now, I'm like, I, now that you say that, that. I haven't seen his emails lately either. I'll have to go dig for them. Yeah, but he's awesome. So yeah, great tip. Um, okay. As we wrap up here, you mentioned some 
awesome free resources you have. I know you have a whole library of them as well as your podcast. Yeah. I would love for you to share with my audience where they can go to have access to those things. And maybe just a little bit about, I know you have programs that may be a good fit for some folks listening. So if you want to share about those too. I chuckle because we've got a lot going on and I always (laughs) want to make sure we're supporting people where they are. But um, yeah, so our podcast is called Proof to Product. It's a great place to start. Our free resource library has a number of different free masterclasses that I run, including the delegating class that I mentioned earlier. We also have a program called Is Wholesale Right for You that'll help you identify if that's a revenue stream you should start pursuing. We also have an intro program about exhibiting at trade shows if that's something people want to do. We also have a number of other things there, but you can find that at proofdeproduct.com slash resources. And then we also have a couple of paid programs that people might be interested in. We have our labs community, which is a membership program, and that is focused on sales, marketing, general operations, things like the hiring we talked about and taking our business temperature and the annual planning, that all of that has been discussed in our labs program. And that's where we have an archive of trainings as well. So people can find that at proofdeproduct.com slash labs. And then for anyone that truly wants to build that wholesale foundation and start seeing their products on the shelves of their favorite stores, they want to look into our paper camp program. That is something we have been running since 2011. We've done 40 rounds of it. We've coached thousands of people who are successfully selling at big box stores and also specialty stores all around the world. And that link is proofdeproduct.com slash paper camp. And on socials, we're at proofdeproduct everywhere too. So you can connect with us there. Amazing. Thank you so much, Katie. This has been such a fun interview. I You have shared so many useful and um, just like really concrete pieces of advice that I know I was taking notes. I'm sure everyone else was too. So really grateful for not only the work you do, but just everything you've shared today and how generous you are with your expertise. I'm really grateful. Oh, Lauren, thank you so much for having me. This was just such a fun conversation and I really appreciate the questions you asked. So thank you for having me. So as I said in this interview, I've been a longtime fan of Katie and her podcast, Proof to Product. And after this conversation, my guess is that you will be too. Be sure to go check her out and access her free resources that will all be linked up in the show notes, which you can find at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 151. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful to have your support. Here are three ways that you can give back to making good. First, I'd be honored if you would leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast player, and don't forget to subscribe and follow. Second, if you have a friend that you think would enjoy the podcast, you can send them the link. Today's episode can be found at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 151. And finally, I would love for you to take a screenshot of your podcast player while you're listening and tag me on Instagram. I'm at Lauren Tilden. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-T-I-L-D-E-N. And Katie is at Proof to Product. That's proof to product. Thank you for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time.